Okay, welcome back everyone to another episode of Collectively Speaking, um, a podcast presented by Ujima, the National Center on Violence Against Women in the Black Community. We are so excited as we continue our COVID-19 podcast series with another episode. Uh, today we're, we, are, uh, we have special guests, excuse me, um, Dr. Michelle A. Gordini. She is the, is it still Interim Chief Medical Officer? Yes. Mm -hmm. She is the Interim Chief Medical Officer and Senior Vice President of Population Health and Primary Care at the University of Maryland Medical System. Uh, we are going to be discussing COVID-19 in the Black community and giving you a little more insight on uh, currently what's, what's, what's going on and then uh, some future processes that may take place around how uh, the Black community is treated as far as uh, COVID-19, vaccines, our kids, all that nature. So we're going to get into that. But first, Dr. Gordine, can you please introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Michelle Gordine. Um, I am a uh, physician, a pediatrician by training, um, African-American female, uh, originally from uh, Jackson, Mississippi, actually. Um, grew up there and moved to Maryland back in the 80s to um, undertake my medical studies um, and um, have remained here in the state of Maryland pretty much for the last 30 plus years. Um, I have a history in providing uh, pediatrics in a um, Baltimore City practice setting, uh, also um, former um, health officer and director for the Baltimore County Health Department and uh, deputy state uh, secretary of health for the state of Maryland. Uh, I've been with the University of Maryland Medical System for about two and a half years, and as you stated, I'm serving... I'm serving as uh, interim chief medical officer and uh, senior vice president there, and it's been a privilege to to be there. So that and I have uh, I'm married and I've got three kids. <laughs> so there go. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, and again, thank you for taking this interview. It's very important that um, you know we get the information out there, especially um, within the community that we serve, which is the Black community. There's a lot of information about COVID-19. People have a lot of questions, so hopefully we can kind of break down some of those myths and give out some um, some concrete information. Um, so Great. first, my first question to you is that most of our listeners already know about kind of know mm -hmm. about COVID-19, uh, but can you explain why the virus has been so concerning? So COVID-19, uh, everybody's heard about because we talk about it every single day and rightfully so. This is a new virus. Um, the coronavirus family itself is not new, but this is a new strain. And so when it first was uh, recognized in China and then later in the United States, it was a virus we knew absolutely nothing about. So we didn't really know how you got it. We didn't know how it was spread. We didn't know how to treat it. Um, didn't really know at that time how to prevent it. There are, um, obviously over the past few months, we've learned a lot about the virus, but there's still a lot to learn. And the bottom line is that what we know is that this is a virus that is potentially deadly. Uh, over 150,000 people in the United States have died uh, over the span of six or so months. Uh, that is, um, not insignificant at all. Uh, many people have been affected uh, by this virus, either themselves or their family members, friends, co-workers, loved ones. Um, and it is uh, not only a virus that is deadly, but it's a virus that's relatively easily spread from person to person. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's important for us to understand what we do know about this virus, what we do need to know about how to protect ourselves. And most importantly, to take this virus seriously, if, if I could leave one takeaway with everyone listening here, it is that we are not out of the woods 
at all. Um, and we need to take this very seriously and do what we need to do to protect ourselves and our families. And with that being said, there's a lot of development around the virus. Are there any new symptoms or treatments out there so far that you can tell us about? So the symptoms of the virus, uh, if you recall, initially we talked about uh, fever, cough, shortness of breath, but those symptoms have sort of expanded now. Um, you actually can see people who have nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Um, a couple of symptoms that have been fairly consistent um, in recent months have been a new or recent loss of, loss of taste and loss of smell. Um, we, we've seen a number of individuals who have contracted this virus to report those symptoms, but not all. But again, fever, cough, shortness of breath, nausea, diarrhea, um, sometimes um, body aches and pain. So as you can imagine, it is a broad range of symptoms. Even things like congestion um, have also been reported as well. Broad range of symptoms that could be um, associated with many other things like the common cold or the flu or um, seasonal allergies, for example. So what we do as physicians at, is that we take those symptoms into consideration and also consider whether or not a patient has potentially been exposed to someone with uh, COVID-19 or been in a setting where um, that spread could have occurred. So if I could just spend a minute on sort of that, because there are a couple of things I want to drive home as far as that's concerned. Sure. We know that that person-to-person -person spread, as I said, is um, the way that this virus is spread. It's spread through respiratory droplets. So when you cough or um, even when you yell loud in someone's presence or if you are singing in a choir next to someone uh, or if you sneeze, those respiratory droplets can, can get into the air and you um, being near a person who's done one of those things can inhale those droplets and become infected. So when you hear people talking about the importance of staying at least six feet apart, that's why. Because uh, six feet is the relative sort of um, average distance that those droplets could travel and potentially infect someone else. So social distancing, vital. Staying out of crowds and crowded situations, absolutely vital. Um, wearing a face mask or a face covering, absolutely essential. Washing your hands using hand sanitizer, keeping your hands out of your face, absolutely uh, essential. So we don't have yet a virus for the vaccine. We have very few treatments for the, for, for the, I'm sorry, we don't have a vaccine for the virus. We also have very few treatments for the virus and they typically are treatments that are reserved for individuals who are extremely sick and are in the intensive care unit. Um, and so, what we have to recommend is those preventive activities that I just listed in order to prevent uh, spread. And that's what's really important for people to uh, begin to understand. Okay, great. And as far as, so since we are talking mainly about the black community, um, mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit why this has hit our community so hard? Yeah, it actually has hit the black community very hard. Um, I saw a statistic that roughly 25% um, uh, um, of the deaths have, of, of COVID have occurred among African-Americans, and we only make up 13% of the population. So there's a disproportionality there, which, which indicates a, um, an imbalanced impact in the black community. Um, one of the things that COVID has done is reveal 
Um, many of the inequities that we have experienced as an African-American race uh, for a very long time. You know, the bottom line is that in the United States, African-Americans on average do get sicker and die younger than white Americans, specifically from certain conditions like hypertension or heart disease or um, what we call con uh, uh, COPD, um, which is a respiratory illness, um, asthma, things of that nature. And what we found is that there are a number of factors uh, that are related to access to medical care and medical treatment. The fact that we uh, have disproportionately lower access to care on average in our communities, but also other factors that are required for us to be healthy. Um, you know, things like um, safe and, and uh, affordable uh, housing, um, healthy environments free of exposure from toxins, the ability to um, get jobs that don't expose us to um, uh, dangerous uh, environments as well. Um, transportation uh, that would allow us to be able to access um, our medications. We are disproportionately represented in, in lower socioeconomic status, although I will point out that even African Americans of uh, moderate to high socioeconomic status still experience um, disparities in health, and we think a lot of that is related, frankly, to the stress of racism that people deal with every day, things like microaggressions and other stressful situations that African-Americans deal with on a day-to-day -day basis that cumulatively have a negative effect on our health. And so where, that's where you see sort of that mind-body connection where at the center of all of that is stress that causes premature biological aging in African-Americans, which then prematurely sets us up for these types of conditions like heart disease and COPD that we experience. So what does that have to do with COVID? Now we're seeing, as we are reviewing individuals, not only in the United States, but around the world, who have been affected with COVID, who are the people who end up most likely to be hospitalized, and who are the people who end up most likely to be severely ill and to die? Those are the people that have the conditions like high blood pressure and diabetes and COPD. Sound familiar? Same conditions we were just talking about with regard to the, the disparities that we've always seen in this country and the disproportionate impact on African Americans of those conditions. And so, in a way, COVID has really sort of revealed and uncovered um, disparities that are related to uh, socioeconomic issues and social determinants that we've always seen here in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um... And you answered my, my next question about the underlying conditions. So I'm going to ask you about social distancing. So we know that it works. However, I know that in black community, there's a lot of intergenerational um, households. So when you have grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles, or you know, of course, mom and dad, kids living in the same house, um, how do you social distance when, um, when you do have people in the house that have underlying conditions or older people who this um, disease may affect the most? It is challenging, but it is, it is possible to do so. So if there is a situation where there are multiple generations living in a home and they all have to be there, then it's vitally important for the individual who is infected to remain separated from the rest of the household. You know, um, if, if it is possible to um, 
uh, isolate that individual in a separate bedroom, for example, where a door can be closed, and that's absolutely essential. If it is possible for an individual to have access to one bathroom, that's absolutely essential, but that's not always the case. And so what is required is for there to be minimal contact with that individual. For those who do have to have contact with that person, providing them with food or going in and cleaning, for example, um, making sure that they themselves, everyone in the household is wearing facial coverings, that the individual who, for example, has to serve another individual or clean after another individual, that they wear gloves, that they use proper disinfectants to clean, um, and again, that they make every effort to remain separate from that individual during the time period that infection uh, could spread or that complications could occur. So again, if it's not possible to isolate that person, then identifying a specific area where that person would remain during the time of infectivity, ensuring everybody's wearing face masks, and ensure that proper people are wearing gloves and ensure that proper disinfection is taking place are absolutely vital to do so. And there are resources that are available um, from um, websites if you've got access to the internet, but even if not, for example, at the University of Maryland Medical System, we developed um, some uh, materials, some flyers that we distributed through our community health uh, teams at each of our hospitals, who then took these, these flyers out to churches and other uh, credible messengers to hand out to the community, which specifically lay out how you clean in a home where you're not able to uh, properly social distance because you live in a multi-generational home. So those resources do exist and, and, and um, are available to be distributed to people who need them. Okay, and where can people find those, um, that information? So if you have access to the internet, then of course um, on our uh, UMS website, uh, that information is available. We certainly can make available to you, Whitney, as well. Okay. If you're able to post it on another website or provide it to individuals, the PDFs of uh, those flyers. Absolutely. So that they yeah. can get out because the whole point of our pulling them together is to make sure we get them out to folks. So we're happy to get those to you. Okay. Yeah, that would be great. And we can post those on our website and share on social media as well. Um, okay. So speaking of family, let's talk about the little ones. Um, as we have this discussion about them returning to school, returning to sports, normal activities. Um, how are how will black children be affected by COVID-19 um, as they return to regular activities? So children in general um, are obviously a concern for all of us. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of conversation recently about returning to school. And obviously, you know, part of the reason behind that concern is to ensure that um, there's proper ability to social distance and to clean and to disinfect in a school setting. And so there are a lot of concerns about that. And many school systems have decided to uh, at least begin the school year remotely. And so moving beyond COVID, the way that COVID itself, beyond infecting children, is impacting children, is in their um, ability to learn remotely. So to learn remotely, you need a computer. Mm -hmm. You need access to the internet. You need, um, in many instances, especially with the younger children and adults, who's available to sort of help guide them through that remote learning process, make sure the homework is getting done, be able to answer questions. So when you think about it, there's a great deal of a burden um, on not only the schools and the, uh, the teachers, but also on 
the students and the parents, mm-hmm. many of whom have to work to put food on the table for these children. And so, and beyond that, then the internet connectivity and, and, and those types of things. So, you know, when we're thinking about uh, a child being able to have access to a, a quality education, and we know looking at the access uh, statistics and the, the educational attainment gap between black students and other students, you know, one of the concerns is, is this gap going to worsen because of the precautions that we need to take relative to protecting people from COVID and thereby teaching children remotely. So these are things that I know a lot of people are thinking about, but that we all as a community need to think about as well. Okay. And then, so as the, as the country quote unquote returns to normal, um, I don't know how, how valid that is um, with everything going on, <laughs> but um, what is, what is some advice or some tips? Um, that you can give parents to just, you know, put them at ease about, you know, maybe kids going to the playground or maybe kids um, wanting to go outside and interact with their friends. Is there anything they need to know? So going outside, being outside is safer than being in an enclosed um, area if you're going to be around other people. But even when you're outside, the same rules apply. The social distancing applies. So for example, it's fine for you to congregate with the people who live in your household. If you all want to go out to the park, set up a picnic, but set it up six feet away from anybody else. Um, make sure you've got your mask. Make sure you've got plenty of hand sanitizer on hand. Um, make sure you are social distancing. The other thing that's important is, you know, I personally um, am not comfortable recommending that people, for example, you know, in the summertime, we all like to have, this goes beyond the children, we all like to have people over to our homes to have cookouts. Some people are saying, well, you know, maybe if we have, you know, a handful of people to come over, then that would be safe. Not so sure about that, because if you're inviting individuals over who have not resided in your household, even if they're members of your family, you really are increasing your risk of exposure because you don't know what those people have been exposed to, right? So you have to be really, really careful and judicious and, quite frankly, patient about inviting um, either even modest numbers of people over to your home. But back to the children, keeping an eye on the children, helping them to understand the importance of the social distancing, the masking, the washing of the hands, um, uh, letting them run around and play, because that's a good thing. Being outside is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But now's probably not the time to have, you know, play date with multiple children um, to, to reduce their risk of being exposed and to reduce yours as well. Okay. And then, so Ujima also does some work around Black maternal health. Um, do, is there any information out there, any research that has been done around how COVID affects pregnant women or the fetus? Mm-hmm. You know, this is one of those areas where our knowledge is very limited, but evolving. Um, we don't know a whole lot yet. We have, you know, anecdotal um, um, single stories uh, about uh, in, uh, infants, for example, who may have contracted COVID after birth and new, newborns. Um, we're not clear yet about the ability of COVID to be transmitted, for example, from a mother who has COVID um, to her baby prior to birth. We don't know, understand that yet. And so that means that the best advice that we can give is to make sure that we protect the mother from ever becoming infected with COVID. And so all those rules that I've talked about that we need to pay attention to, it is even more important for the pregnant mother to pay attention to those rules because she's dealing with two lives, not just one. 
so um, absolutely important for women who are pregnant or planning to become pregnant to make sure that they uh, adhere to the physical distancing and the social, uh, the, and the masking, the hand washing, et cetera, to keep themselves safe from exposure. Okay. And then um, just to kind of uh, wrap up a little bit, and, and you touched on this earlier, but has there been any exclusive research done around um, the Black community, how uh, how treatment should be presented in the Black community, um, or are there any plans on uh, doing more research around why this affects us so much and what we can do to be uh, not necessarily cured, but treat uh, COVID patients? So I think there's like a two-sided answer to that question. So the first side of that question has to do with what we talked about earlier with African-Americans who, uh, and, and any Americans, quite frankly, who have conditions like high blood pressure or diabetes or who are obese or have uh, COPD, to understand that that places them at higher risk for complications should they become infected. We understand that African-Americans disproportionately have those conditions, um, primarily based on social issues. So it's not a genetic thing. It's not that African-Americans have faulty genes or are biologically somehow different. One of the things that we understand is that race is not a biological construct at all. Race is socially determined. And so this is not a biological or genetics issue whatsoever. It really has to do with the way race in our country over our history dictated our access to resources that we need to be healthy, like safe housing, like safe communities, like a good job, good education, all of those things come into play and trans and they they together increase risk for those types of conditions. And so one thing that we need to do is to continue to pay close attention to and to begin to address some of the underlying social and structural issues and policies that set the stage for disproportionate disease in the African American community. So this lies at the feet of our policymakers, um, our elected officials, working uh, in conjunction with those of us who would advocate for those policies that improve things like education and employment and income and reduce poverty. So there's, there's one bit of it. The other part of it has to do with the fact that we don't know a whole lot about this brand new virus. And so there are many studies and clinical trials that are taking place across the country, lots of research that is taking place, you know, here at the University of Maryland Medical System. We have researchers who are involved actually in uh, vaccine development and are working very hard along with many others across the country and, and around the world to develop a vaccine. But there are likely going to be other clinical trials that take a look at the impact of this disease of COVID on certain populations of people like African-Americans. Traditionally, African-Americans um, uh, participate in clinical trials at a lower rate than other Americans do for many reasons, really undergirded by the mistrust uh, that was fed by the Tuskegee experiment and other experiments that, that caused African Americans to be mistrustful. So that means we've got work to do on both sides. You know, mm -hmm. there's got to be a willingness in the African American community to participate in these trials, but there also has to be on the side of the researchers an acknowledgement of the past history of African Americans who participate in research and working to reassure and to ensure that African Americans can safely participate in these trials and be treated fairly. So long-winded answer to your question, but again, new virus, a lot of work that we need to do. 
and I'm I'm glad that you brought that up about our history and and uh, um, creating uh, vaccines and testing um, in the black community around the Tuskegee um, around the Tuskegee issue. I think people forget uh, that that's mm -hmm. why some of us are a little skeptical when it comes to testing things on us um, because right. of our history. So yes, thank you for bringing that up. Um, and then my last question for you is, is there anything that we need to know about COVID that we haven't talked about today that's not necessarily publicized a lot, um, but is important to know? You know, I don't know if there's anything that's not publicized a lot, but I think there is something that is worth repeating. We're not out of the woods. We're not. And the reason I get concerned is because, you know, recently I've seen gatherings of people, you know, we see these things on the internet of folks, uh, two, 300 people gathering, not wearing masks, not social distancing. And the risk is real. Um, the other thing I want to point out is that, you know, we're hearing a lot about um, of, of late younger people becoming diagnosed with the disease and this sort of general assumption that younger people um, don't get very sick and they tend to do well. I think in general that is true, but there are absolutely instances where that is absolutely not true. And we've seen young, previously healthy individuals die from this disease. And we would hate to see even one more individual befall that, that fate befall them. But even more importantly, you know, the other part about COVID that we haven't talked about and I do want to bring up is the fact that you can, be in, you can be infected with COVID and not have any symptoms at all. You have no idea that you have it, but you're at risk of spreading it. So imagine if you're living with your grandmother or even your mother and you get infected because you haven't been careful, you didn't wear your mask, you didn't practice social distancing, you come home, you have no idea you have it, you pass it on to your mother or your grandfather and they get very ill and, you know, heaven forbid, die. That's a horrible, horrible situation. So while it would, was true, that the younger person didn't have any ill effects from COVID and were asymptomatically infected, they brought it home to a loved one. And so part of dealing with COVID is acknowledging not only our personal right to wear a mask or not wear a mask, because that's been politicized a lot now, but also our responsibility to our communities. Wherever those communities might be, whatever color those communities might be, you know, we've got a social and a civic responsibility to each other to do the right thing, even if it's not for ourselves, for those around us, because we want others to do the same thing for us. And so if I could drive that home, that's the point that I would want to drive home to everyone listening here today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, are there any other resources that you would like to share with our listeners? Any um any websites or contacts that you may uh, think that's helpful? Sure. You know, the University of Maryland Medical System certainly has a website um, where um, you all can, you can Google uh, University of Maryland Medical System, UMMS, to get additional information. Uh, the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, cdc.org, has regularly updated information. That's, that's my go-to, um, um, uh, in addition to the UMS website to get additional information. Quite frankly, um, you know, even your regular sort of news websites, one of the mill news websites have really good information as well. I think our news media for the most part is doing a great job in keeping up with the latest and the greatest relative to COVID. Outside from all the political stuff, the medical stuff and the information you need to know, I think is very valuable. But I would encourage people to continue to seek out that information and just remember those basic things. 
social distancing, wear a mask, wash your hands, use hand sanitizer. Those are the keys to our being able to get control of this disease. Well, thank you so much again for um, doing this interview with us, Dr. Michelle Gordine. Um, to our listeners, we will have all this information up on our website. Um, if you don't know already, Ujima has a COVID-19 tab on our website now where we're housing a lot of um, information. So visit us at ujimacommunity.org. Um, also, if you have any other questions, you can always email us at Ujima Community, sorry, info, Ujima info at ujimacommunity.org and we will get those questions answered for you. Thank you again, Dr. Cordine. It was such a pleasure uh, doing the interview with you. Thank you, it was my pleasure.